0: Welcome to The Marketer's Journey, a podcast that delivers real conversations and fresh perspectives from senior marketing executives who share the journey they've taken and the buyer journey they create. And now, here's your host, Randy Frisch.
1: Welcome to The Marketer's Journey. I am Randy, and today I've got Leela Srinivasan joining me. Now, this is a true story. Leela is the CMO of a company called Momentum. And when this podcast reporting was first scheduled a couple months back, to be honest, I saw that she was the CMO of SurveyMonkey. When I went on just a week before we were gonna report, I saw now she's CMO of Momentum. And I assumed, like in many cases, she had jumped to a new company. Never would I have thought that a brand like SurveyMonkey would go through a rebrand. That's wild to me because it's got such brand affinity. But when you start to dig in, you realize that brands sometimes get to a point where they do more than what their brand name may suggest. In the case of SurveyMonkey, the suggestion of being young and playful, or perhaps the idea that it's very focused primarily on surveys versus some of the other tools. These are things that Leela and I unpacked today that led them to this massive decision. A public company with massive revenues is gonna make this change. And we unpack this together as well as looking at how her career led us to this point of being so sales-minded. Now, Leela started her career ultimately in a sales role, continued on through amazing brands like LinkedIn, OpenTable, Lever, and now is rocking it absolutely at this new, exciting brand called Momentum. Tune in. This is a fantastic podcast for everyone trying to figure out how to optimize customer perception. Lila, thanks so much for stopping in and chatting with us. I am very excited to hear about your story, the momentum story. Let's start there. You are CMO of a company that has amazing heritage in SurveyMonkey, but now has a very brand new name. How did this op first come to you?
0: My goodness. Well, uh, if I cast my mind back, uh, Randy, to the early 2018, at the time I was CMO of Lever, I loved being at Lever, loved the HR tech space wasn't really looking for a a change necessarily. The president of what was then SurveyMonkey reached out, did a cold outreach, and I thought, huh, that's interesting, but I didn't actually respond. I've used SurveyMonkey for years as a marketer, of course, in multiple different ways for product marketing, for events, for this, for that, but I didn't associate the type of marketer I was SurveyMonkey because I had spent time in B2B marketing, basically, across a few different jobs. And I thought of SurveyMonkey as this kind of self-serve online transactional product. And it was only when I was having a cocktail with a a headhunter friend of mine, he mentioned SurveyMonkey and said, have you talked to them? I think they've been in touch. You should talk to them. And I said, Matt, why? This doesn't seem like a fit. And then he explained the story, which was, of course that while SurveyMonkey was built on this rich heritage of self-serve, uh, online, easy-to-use software, the company was steadily marching up market. And that was where they needed to, to really emphasize their future. So it all came together, but only because a headhunter said, you gotta respond to that to that email. Uh, so that was back in uh, probably January, February 2018 and been there for, for three and a half years.
1: All right, so I already have so many questions for you, Leela. And you know the first one is how often and how intentional is it to be friends with headhunters? Right? As a CMO, you know, I mean, do you seek them out? No question, they're seeking you out with your record, your track record, companies like Lever, companies, you know, in your case, also LinkedIn, Open Table, you've you've have an amazing resume. So how do these relationships get nurtured on your side?
0: Well, in some instances, they have actually worked with you, they've placed you somewhere. Over time, you sometimes respond to reach out. You often don't. But the better headhunters out there will seek to build a long-term relationship because they know that you're probably not looking. And that's the, the, the fact of the matter is there are many more, I think, CMO jobs out there than there are qualified CMOs. At least it feels that way right now. And the better headhunters know that this is a long game and they'll build relationships. They'll seek to understand you know, what makes you tick, what are the types of opportunity that you might be interested in someday. And uh, you never know where that takes you.
1: That's great. All right. I told you I had a number of questions. My next question is, how do you decide when it's the right time to move on? Because I look at a company like Lever or Lever, depending on, as you said, if I'm in Canada, (laughs) you know, a company I love and and we use their software as well. I mean, that company seems like it has so much potential, so much upside. I know that you continued on there in an advisory role. Mm -hmm. So you obviously had an affinity to that brand and that company. How do you decide when it's time for you to jump from one successful CMO gig to another high potential?
0: Yeah, I don't know if there's a hard and fast rule. I mean, I do think that all of us at every level of our career continue to learn and develop and grow. And uh, if I think back to that time at Lever, uh, when Lever is a fantastic company, I'm so glad you use their software. Uh, It's it's really great great stuff. Uh, We were in a little bit of a business as usual holding pattern. In terms of where our future lay. And I think in the back of my mind, while I really enjoyed the company and the industry and everything else, I pride myself on sort of being intellectually curious and looking for growth and, and really desiring growth. And when the Serving Monkey Now Momentum uh, opportunity came along, I looked objectively at what was on the table versus what was ahead and realized that one of them represented a, a meaningfully different growth trajectory. So that was sort of at the root of it. And um, it's funny, I just read a book that's come out by Steve Cadigan, a former colleague of mine from, from LinkedIn, and it's called Work Quick. Definitely recommend it. Uh, but the, the thesis of this is all around that relationship between employee and employer, and the fact that as an employer in this day and age, I think you have to be providing those growth opportunities to your employees because they can find growth elsewhere growth is constantly tapping them on the shoulder and so it's really important for you as an employer to think about how can i provide growth paths development paths uh, within my company
1: so i want to continue on this idea of growth and and better understand your trajectory because if you go back in your career you and i've discussed this you started off in sales and, and a lot of people say they started in sales and they you know, that means they were a BDR for a whole year or something <laughs> like that. I mean, in your case, you know, with Business Wire alone, almost six years in sales mm-hmm. role, you know, carrying quota, the entire cycle of a of a deal has been in your lap. How has that shaped you as a CMO today?
0: Yeah, it's it's been fundamental, Randy. Yeah. I fell into sales. I'll, I'll start there. Uh, so my first job out of college was uh, at a startup in florida and i wore a variety of different hats the last hat i wore there was public relations manager and i ended up at business wire which is still still a going concern it's part of warren buffett's stable at birch or hathaway now but uh, i ended up at business wire because i was a customer of business wire and i really liked the service uh, i liked the, the value that i got from it and they were looking to expand their team and my account executive at the time said hey have you have you thought about trying sales and I, I had definitely not thought about trying sales, but uh, I took a leap of faith because I really believed in the product. So that was that. I was an account executive for, what, three, three and a half years. And then I worked my way into a management role and I uh, ran the sales office, basically, in New England, uh, out of Boston. What I think I learned in that journey, first of all, was taking my experience as a customer over to sales was really, really valuable because I was selling to people whose role I had played, even if I'd only done it for a short time. So I had that empathy with the buyer, having been the buyer at one point. And then part two of that is I then took the empathy for what it takes to sell. Because selling is uh, can be a really thankless task. It can be a hard task. You're grinding out quarter after quarter. Uh, it's not all glory, right? So I took that understanding of the sales cycle and what it takes to build a good customer relationship into my marketing journey, which, uh, as I mentioned, has really been on the the business to business side um, throughout, although I've worked with a number of companies that are marketplace-like and have more of a consumer angle to them. So I think it all connects together. I don't think I'd be as strong a marketer if I hadn't spent that time in sales.
1: Gotcha. So if if we fast forward through your career to these CMO opportunities you've had, both with Lever. And now today, you know, with Momentum, which we'll talk a little bit more later in terms of that rebrand, but SurveyMonkey, when you think about that sales hat and the sales people in your organization, how have you structured your relationship either with the you know, sales leader or even BDRs and AEs? You know, I understand I would understand you've got that traditional sales model with you know a B2B enterprise type of sale. How have you structured your role specifically as it relates to those sellers?
0: Yeah, I think I've tried to stay close to them as much as is possible and certainly have my team be really close to them. I'll give you a couple of examples. Back at Lever, we had a period where we actually didn't have a head of sales for um, probably six or more months. And so what happened was the executive team divvied up that responsibility. And so I find myself working really closely with our director of sales for SMB and corporate so that meant that a handful of us, myself, my director of demand, Jen, the sales ops guy, the marketing ops gal, and this um, sales director and his sales lead, we, ha- we had a stand up every morning where we got in a room and we looked at the funnel and we looked at where things were getting stuck. We looked at whether SLAs were on track. Uh, I think the, the SDRs in the, the main room next door were probably sitting there waiting to get that ping and slack of, hey, what's going on with DLX? Um, but it was sort of taking that partnership mentality and really looking together at the funnel and where things were breaking down. So that was kind of like one example at Lever. At Momentum today, uh, we work really closely with the sales team and uh, do a lot of work around our uh, pipeline targets in general. So we have a pipe gen council that meets once a week, and that includes our chief sales officer and a few other sales executives, again, a couple of couple of marketing folks, and We run through a range of topics, uh, but the goal is really to help the teams get unstuck where things are are getting stuck. And sometimes, you know, that might be because the team needs more enablement or needs uh, help really delivering the message. Sometimes it might be that there's a, you know, a a different type of sales training issue. Sometimes we might find that leads are not flowing properly. So there are are all these different problems that can spring up throughout that customer lifecycle, if you will. And I think the key is working together to figure out what the blocks are and then knocking them down together.
1: That's great. Great guidance, great advice. Leela, we're going to keep you around. We'll take a quick break to hear from our sponsor and we'll be right back on the marketer's journey.
0: Want to improve the buyer journey for your customers and your prospects? Look no further than our presenting sponsor, UberFlip. and we created one just for you. Head to uberflip.com journey to see how Uberflip can help you leverage the power of personalized content experiences.
1: One of the things chatting there with Leela is really thinking about what connection do you have with the sales organization? Now in her case, she had this amazing experience at the beginning of her career, actually carrying a bag as a sales rep and understanding the role and understanding the type of support that the sales organization needs. But every once in a while, as a marketer, we gotta take a step back and figure out, are we living in our marketing team? Or are we living within the organization? Are we there to support sales? Do we actually have a direct line of contact either to sales leadership or even some of the sales account executives and BDRs who can ultimately tell us whether our messaging is resonating with our buyers. Leela, I want to jump into the big decision that you made or your team made to rebrand this company. Now, I can tell you that I associate going to trade shows and any SurveyMonkey swag I could get was gonna be a hit with my kids. Like It was such a powerful brand. Sometimes I even wanted that swag for myself. So how do you go from taking such an iconic brand to deciding that it's
0: time for a change? Well, Randy, you partly answered the question yourself because I'm sure your kids are wonderful, but they're not our target audience. (laughs) So uh, you're right. I mean, SurveyMonkey has been around for 22 years now. It is an iconic brand, aided brand awareness, you know, it's really high. It's the highest, I think, of any brand I've worked for. And there's still a lot of love for the SurveyMonkey brand. And to be clear, as we've gone through this rebrand journey to Momentive, we're keeping SurveyMonkey as the name and the product um, on the self-serve site. But what signs were increasingly telling us was that as powerful as that brand was for that self-serve product, it wasn't translating as well to the enterprise. Uh, When we asked buyers and um, potential buyers out there to tell us what words they associated with SurveyMonkey, the brand, they would use words like cute and fun. Nothing wrong with those, but if you're looking uh, ahead of procurement or IT straight in the eye and and, you know having a conversation about a five or six figure deal, ah, cute and fun probably aren't the attributes that you want to bring to the table. So we had growing signs out there uh, across all all manner of different, um, different touch points with customers that while, again, SurveyMonkey was super powerful, it maybe wasn't the brand for us to uh, really sprint after in the enterprise where our business was actually outgrowing um, the rest of the business. So we've been um, making this journey to the enterprise for the last three or four years and uh, finally decided that it was time to, to, uh, to make that change. How much of
1: it also perhaps had to do with the limitations of the idea of a survey? versus some of the other functions that you either do today or may have on a product roadmap.
0: Yeah, that's a great point. It it Actually, that was another consideration uh, for sure. The word survey is too narrow, in fact, for the power and the the breadth of of offerings that we have today. So when you look at our portfolio, you'll see that we have uh, solutions for employee experience, customer experience, brand insights, all kinds of things that maybe survey doesn't, doesn't exactly connote. And so that was that was a huge part of the decision as well.
1: So now you've got the decision. You know you want to make this change. How do you validate that? You know The reason I'm so intrigued to discuss this with you is you are a company that believes in the voice of the customer, that believes in getting responses from people before we make these instinctive decisions as a marketing team or an organization.
0: Yeah. Clearly, a lot of um, uh, research underpinned this decision and also informed you know, the, the, the final decision to land with with momentum as the brand. So you know, we've been running uh, brand trackers consistently over the years to help us understand how our brand is, not only how it's faring in terms of uh, awareness, but also as people move through that consideration funnel, how loyal are they to the brand, et cetera, et cetera. So we've been monitoring that along with understanding whether our uh, prospective buyers associate us with the attributes that we want to be known for. For example, enterprise, worthiness, and security, et cetera, et cetera. So we had those um, inputs over time. We, in total, I think we had 10 different pieces of research that informed the decision. We gathered the opinions of over 22,000 people wow. <laughs> as part of the So it was definitely a quantitative exercise uh, with qualitative in there as well. So I think six of the studies were quant and four were qual. And on the quant side, one of the important audiences aside from customers, of course, was our employees. So we wanted to understand: okay, we are really set on making this shift. How are employees going to navigate that? Are they aware of this? That it might be time to uh, have a different uh, name on the on the front door, as it were, because there is this you know this appetite in the company, and our business is shifting to enterprise, and maybe SurveyMonkey doesn't quite match up to that. And we we actually got some great insight from that research, which. Uh, first, gave us the confidence that yes, our um, mission, vision, and values were absolutely the right ones. But then, secondly, employees—they did know, you know—they knew on some level that maybe SurveyMonkey wasn't the right moniker for the the, the long-term future. So, so we gathered just a ton of data, uh, and then that was around making the decision itself. Then there were the set of studies that we ran to actually inform which name to go with, because the whole process of naming—I don't know about you, but I think naming is like the most difficult thing in marketing in some ways, because it's so subjective
1: absolutely the only thing harder is choosing your own kids names i say but
0: yeah (laughs) i think i was less stressed about that to be honest but
1: uh you can never really do a rebrand there but yes
0: (laughs) that's true although my eldest did just ask if she could change the spelling of her her shortened name and i was like sure i guess i guess you can (laughs) that's 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 uh, yours to decide so on the naming front we started with 961 names if you can believe that we worked with an agency there are hundreds of those that got knocked out for legal reasons we narrowed it down we narrowed it down further i think in the end we considered 59 uh, independent names um, that had a variety of different ties back to our heritage or ties to the future and where we were headed and we we went through a very rigorous um, monadic study uh, with the top 10 names to just make sure that they were in the sweet spot of you know where where they were on that that spectrum between self-serve and enterprise and some of the other attributes that we were thinking about so lots and lots of research and summary which really shored up our, our decision
1: so when you when you say 22,000 surveys or people were, were involved in this decision how long did that process take from beginning to end and I'm not talking about the rebrand because that once you go down that road that's a big undertaking but just to come to that decision how long was that process
0: That's a good question I mean the, the rebrand itself and the, the guts of the research, Took place over probably a 15 month period, uh, but I would argue that the I mean you know, I mentioned our brand tracking, which is an ongoing um, process that we run. We've been running that for years prior, and so some of those signals informed the run up to the decision of you know where our, our awareness remains high, but people's perception of where we add value is starting to detach from from the the journey we're taking.
1: Interesting.
0: You could argue years, but you know I suppose the the textbook answer is 15 months with lots of prior signals.
1: So I want to fast forward a bit. You've now decided to change the name. You've gone through, and and as I know, you went worked with an agency to help you come up with the name itself and and the branding and the look and the feel. But let's talk about something, you know, I'm always very passionate about the content because I imagine that as you shifted the brand, it wasn't just a different name. It was, what do you stand for? How much of your content did you find you were able to use again, or how much of this was almost starting a brand new company in terms of voice and opinion?
0: Uh, Thank you for asking that question, because you're absolutely right. Most rebrands are not just a fresh coat of paint, uh, and this one certainly was not. I mean, we've been calling it a relaunch of the company or repositioning of the company. What I will say is there were some pieces that, happily, we were able to just run with from our prior existence. So whether by dumb luck or just, you know, we we lucked out uh, in some, some shape or form, in March of 2020, so right before the pandemic, um, I worked with our chief people officer to roll out our mission, vision, and values for the company. And the timing of that was driven by the fact we'd made a couple of acquisitions the year before of other companies that had their own value sets, and we basically wanted to to knit those together into one set of values across our team of now what's now almost 1,500 people. Um, so we had rolled those out in March 2020, and as we thought about this rebrand, we realized that you know, those things were were basically unchanged. Our vision is to raise the bar for human experiences by amplifying individual voices. So, you know, that is unchanged. It is very much at the core of, of what we do. Our values, again, were, you know, that those are the guidelines. Who we are as a company hasn't shifted. But the way we tell our story absolutely shifted. So prior to uh, this rebrand, we were largely going to market with these three product pillars. So We talked about the products that we had in surveys, the products that we had in customer experience, and then the set of uh, market research products. What we did with the rebrand was try and think instead through the lens of the customers and the the solutions that we were offering, the problems that we were solving for them. So that led to us telling a story around five different solutions categories that map to these pain points and challenges that customers are, are facing. And then within that, when you click, there's over 40 different solutions, individual solutions that map into that. So that was a big part of the story. Um, our new uh, URL is memento.ai That was a big part of the story because of all the things that people associate SurveyMonkey with our research showed, it's true that maybe innovation wasn't necessarily front and center. And in fact, over 22 years and billions of responses, there's actually a lot that the company's done with AI and machine learning to uh, build models that really help our customers ask um, better questions and get higher quality responses. As they were gathering research so that was a big part of the story and then the last thing is dei diversity equity and inclusion has always been important to us but with this rebrand we took the opportunity to really dial that up and hopefully that comes through when you when you take a look at our website
1: that's great i want to just for one last moment here dig in on you hit on these five ways that people think of of having a solution powered by momentum and, and i've got the website up in front of me it's market insights brand insights employee experience, customer experience, and product experience. I'm curious, I mean, that's a lot of different strategies to power. And as you said, you know, this wasn't just a rebrand, this is a relaunch. Did you structure your team across those different ones? Or was this product marketers trying to manage multiple different positions and solutions?
0: Yeah, it's a good question. I think we're in, in all honesty, we're still thinking through how do we set up the team for the future. Those solutions categories do map into those products that I mentioned. So it's maybe not as abrupt a shift internally because you can imagine behind customer experience sit a set of solutions um, headlined by Get Feedback, which has long been our our customer experience management uh, prime solution. When you talk about brand and market insights, that maps to the world of market research that we talked about before. But what we've tried to do is put the actual solutions in the language of the, the challenges that customers customer is trying to, trying to knock down. So that's where I think the, the key is uh, really in making that transition to into the language of the customer so that they can find the thing they're looking for.
1: That's great. Really interesting how you're approaching this, Lila. We're going to take a short break and we'll be back with some rapid fire questions right after this break. Lila, we have unpacked your career journey. We've talked about the massive rebrand or relaunch of Momentum. Now I've got some really quick questions for you. So this is our rapid fire section. Are you ready?
0: I don't know. (laughs)
1: All All right. Well, we're going for it anyway. So my first question for you is one we've been asking to a lot of our CMO guests. As you think about someone rising the ranks, should they focus on being a marketing specialist or marketing?
0: generalist oh i think it depends on the size of the company right if you're a smaller company i think there's lots of opportunity to be a generalist um if you're a larger company i think you can you might want to specialize and build some real skills but overall going back to what i said earlier learn make sure you're finding paths to learn
1: that's great advice all right next one for you here what's one thing you wish marketers would do more of
0: market themselves I like that. I feel like I feel like marketers just are terrible at um, sharing their accomplishments internally. That needs to change.
1: That's great. That's a great uh, suggestion. All right, third one here I've got for you. If you think of the term content marketing or content strategy, what are three words that you wish people used more often?
0: Uh, uh, essential, relevant, and inspiring. I feel like people just like churn out content and there's, it's like, there's no heart and soul in it. You, if You're doing that. You're doing it all wrong.
1: I like, I like that last one. You saved it. You saved it or it came, came from inspiration. All right. <laughs> last one here for you before we start to wrap up, but you know, you, we talked a lot about this rebrand uh, that you did at SurveyMonkey becoming momentum. What's one piece of advice you give to people who are struggling with their current brand?
0: Ooh, uh, let's see. Struggling with your current brand? Uh, listen to your customers. You got to understand. You know, you might have internal struggles, but it's just really, really un- important to understand what your current and your prospective or future customers think of that brand. So there are there's plenty of technology in the market to help you do that.
1: Yeah, I, I think you know one very well. Uh, all right, we got one last one for you, just to tie this all back to a journey. We've talked again about your career journey, the buyer journey. When you think about taking breaks from work, where's your next personal journey going to take you?
0: Oh, that's an easy question. I'm off to Scotland next month, back to my home country to see my parents for the first time in oh, two years.
1: Oh man, that's amazing. It's so unfortunate that so many of us have been held back from those those trips and, and seeing people we love, but it, it's great that it's, it's a reality now. So that sounds like an amazing way to continue your journey. Lila, thank you so much for joining us and for being on this podcast. Uh, we've learned so much from you. And if you're tuning in, check out all the other episodes, every CMO you can learn from, like Lila said today. And one day, I hope you'll be sharing your journey on this podcast. Until next time, this is The marketing Journey.